Thank you for joining me for this special sermon from Pennington AG Church. This is our vision sermon for the fall, where we believe God is leading us and what we believe is needed for our spiritual life going forward as a church community and also wherever you are watching this on the internet. We have been praying about the fall season of 2021 and coming off of 18 months of chaos and anxiety and what do we need from God in this? And we have felt one word come back to us over and over again around healing, healing spiritually, healing emotionally, healing relationally. And so today I want us to take a look back on where we've been so that we can walk forward with full knowledge of what our wounds are so we can find healing in Christ Jesus. I want to share with you an illustration in order to get us in the right mindset. And I'm going to talk about at the height of 2020, May 2020 through August 2020, what we all were doing. We were renovating our homes. We were trapped inside. We weren't interacting with other people. And this was before lumber prices quadrupled. So we were all Chip and Joanna Gain. More specifically, my wife was Joanna Gain and I was Chip Gain and everything that that means. In May 2020, we renovated our shed in the back. I'm going to send you a picture right here. This is our garden shed all the full beauty of it, what it looks like. And I'm not kidding myself. I know that it's a she shed, but I willingly embrace that. It's our beautiful shed that we remodeled the summer of 2020. And I want to talk to you a little bit about this shed in order to frame up how we are currently off the back of and at the tail end of a global pandemic. Our garden shed project began with a realization that I had been neglecting damage happening to our back shed for some years. There was rot along the back wall so bad that the entire studs of the back wall had been rotten out. The joists for the roof of the shed had been rotten out and the entire roof needed to be replaced along with about two feet along all the other three walls that weren't rotten. The shed actually looked fine from the outside, but due to invasive bamboo, it was literally rotting from the inside out. It was a tedious project over about three months involving emptying everything out, power washing it, getting down in the grit and the grime, evicting several homes of mice that had built nests in the shed, and then destroying walls, tearing it back down to the ground, rebuilding it, reevaluating what we wanted it to be, and then eventually embracing the beauty it became. And here's the point. The shed may have looked fine from the outside, but it was rotting from the inside. And you could look at it and it may have looked normal, but the truth is it no longer functioned as a shed it was supposed to be. It had long passed its function and was dying. Second, the process was messier and grittier and longer than I thought it would be. Once I got involved, I realized the size and scope of it and it moved far slower than I wanted. And truth be told, there were moments in the process where I wanted to be done with it. I had had it. I, it was August and I'm outside in a hot box working on this, but we pressed through because the final result the final part was going in and working in the mess of it allowed us in the process to rebuild it, to be something more beautiful and more functioning than it ever was in the first place. As we talk about our spiritual lives, after 2020 and 2021, two rough years of 
pandemic and racial injustice and divisive politics throughout the whole globe, we have an opportunity right now to be better than we were two years ago. But it's going to take a slow, dirty process of getting into the grit and grime of what has happened to us and recognizing that we may look fine from the outside, churches may still be standing, we may be still live streaming services, but on the inside, many of us have ceased to function as a follower of Jesus full of life in our souls. And so today we're going to look back to go forward. And if you wonder why, why am I doing this? I'll give you three biblical examples. First is the Old Testament, Nehemiah chapter 2 verse 13. Nehemiah comes back to a broken down Jerusalem and he has come back to rebuild the city. And before he does any work, he walks around and evaluates what has happened to the city. Nehemiah chapter 2 verse 13. He writes, After dark I went out through the valley gate, past the jackal's well, and over to the dung gate to inspect the broken walls and burned gates. He had to look back at the damage before he began the work of rebuilding. Second is in the Psalms. Famously, Psalm 139, verse 23, should be a recurring theme, a mantra, written down on our offices, in our cars, in our homes, on the fridge. Psalm 139, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me, and know my anxious thoughts. This is a key verse for us coming off of the last two years. And then finally, in the New Testament, Jesus schools some of his disciples after the resurrection and takes them back through the scriptures and think about the last three years in order to move forward in their new reality. Luke 24, verse 27. Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all of the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. My goal today is to walk us through the past in order that we can see four things. First, Look back to identify your pain. Search your heart and examine where you've been. Second, wrestle with God in the process of giving it over to Him. Allow it to be messy. Wrestle with Him. Bring all of your emotions. Third, return to the essentials of faith. Maybe you have to strip it all down. Maybe you have to deconstruct, but come back to the essentials of the character of God and what His plan is for your life. And fourth and final, Choose the risky path of letting others into your journey. Don't do this alone. Invite others in to the process as you walk your healing. My hope today is maybe to give some language to things you've already been feeling but don't have the words for. Or maybe to point out some of your struggles and let you know that you're not alone in how you feel. Is it harder to do your prayer meditation time than it was two years ago? You are not alone. Do you read the scriptures and sometimes go, yeah, but, but what? Why? How does this work? You are not alone. Is it harder for you to come even into the doors of a church and be around other people that you might feel disconnected from now? You are not alone. How do we heal and reclaim the church and the spiritual vitality that Jesus has called for us? Let's look back to identify our pain. First part. This is a spiritual habit that's largely been lost in the modern evangelical church. We think, God is good, I don't like feeling bad, so I always want to feel good and focus on the good things. I'm going to sing songs that make me happy, I'm going to focus on scriptures that are good promises, and yes, Philippians 4 tells us to focus on the good joys of what God is doing. But, 
to truly appreciate the depth of God's goodness, love, and grace, we first need to identify the deep-seated brokenness of our own lives and the brokenness of the world around us. One-third of the Bible is lament, classical pain in writing, trying to organize our thoughts through exiles and persecutions. One whole third is people asking questions you may be asking right now. God, why? How? How do I move forward in this? What does your goodness mean in the midst of my suffering here? The majority of the Bible is written by oppressed or exiled peoples. If you're feeling either of those, you are in good company in the scriptures, and the Bible should be a comforting place where you also recognize your pain. The Bible itself culminates in the goodness of God taking on the depth of despair and suffering in our sin and brokenness. This is the core of the story of Jesus. Pete Scazzaro says it like this, True spirituality frees us to live joyfully in the present. It requires, however, going back in order to go forward. This takes us to the very heart of spirituality and discipleship in the family of God, breaking free from the destructive sinful patterns of our pasts to live the life of love that God intends. Let's take a look back in order to go forward. Let's take a painful journey together. I'm going to walk us through the timeline of the last two years. Strap in. Beginning fall 2019, we watch as wildfires unprecedentedly run throughout Australia. We see heart-wrenching photos of koalas being rescued and forest lands being destroyed. December 2019, then, there begins the first reports of a virus coming out of Wuhan, China. January 2020, then Prince Harry and Meghan Merkel step down as royalty from London. Oh, January 2020 as well, Kobe Bryant dies, black icon, in a helicopter crash. February 2020, Harvey Weinstein is convicted of rape as a watershed moment for sexual abuse victims, reigniting and bringing back these conversations from the Me Too movement. Then, February 29th, the first American death from COVID-19. That March then, stock market crash, the single largest drop in the United States stock market in one day happens March 9th. March 11th, the NBA shuts down amid COVID concerns. Tom Hanks gets tested positive for COVID-19. The very next day, March 12th, President Trump declares a national state of emergency. By the end of March, we've had a national lockdown, and even for us as churches, we are now fully online in how we operate and move as a community. April 2020, U.S. COVID cases pass 1 million. New Jersey itself, where I pastor, where we're recording this from, has hit nearly 10,000 deaths. At the same time, NASA tells the world that UFOs exist and they release video footage of actual unidentified flying objects and things have gotten so nuts that nobody cares. And you may be watching this and you're like, wait, that happened? That happened in 2020 and you didn't even know about it because things were so nuts already. Google it, watch it, it's crazy. At this time, I also bring dinner to my parents' house and I have a mask on, they ask me to wear gloves when I go inside, and I'm walking inside of their house, 
feeling like I'm in some nuclear crash site, trying not to touch anything, desperately afraid that I might transmit some virus I don't understand and can't see from myself as a young person into my parents who are vulnerable. And I think about what my sisters would do or say if I was responsible for their death. This begins to weigh on us as a people and as a planet. May 2020, Operation Warp Speed. We begin working on a vaccine. The U.S. passes 100,000 deaths from COVID-19. At the same time, Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, these names become common around the U.S. and the globe as deep-seated racial pains in the United States are reignited. Now, from June 2020 to August 2020, COVID takes a backseat as the United States reignites conversations around social justice and racial pain. September 2020, we then begin a contested, highly polarizing political race. October 2020, 200,000 Americans have now died from COVID-19. Our president is hospitalized from COVID-19. November 2020, a contentious election ends with a contested election of Joe Biden. The U.S. hits 100,000 daily cases. November 8th, Alex Trebek dies in the minute of this, the host of Jeopardy. November 26th, Thanksgiving comes and the United States is faced with a question. Do I continue to not see my family that I love for nine months thinking about moving towards a year of being without contact with my closest friends and family? Or do I risk potential spread of the virus by coming together? In the following weeks, we see the largest spike in COVID-19 in U.S. history. It's around the same time that I weep openly in my car in the parking lot of ShopRite because I was shopping with a mask on, saw an elderly couple drop their groceries and knew out of fear I couldn't help them and I watched them struggle and then processed my emotions by weeping openly in my car. Many of you may have felt the same way at this time in 2020. December 2020 comes. Nationwide COVID-19 cases passed 16 million and we hit a new record of 3,300 deaths in a day. The FDA grants emergency authorization to the Pfizer BioNTech vaccine and 3 million global deaths have now happened from COVID-19. January 2021 comes and we all think magically because the calendar, we're going to be fine. But then January 6th happens and there is a riot Five people die and at least 56 police officers are injured as supporters of President Donald Trump feeling like the election was stolen raid the Capitol. Social media crackdowns happen, controversy surrounding whether or not tech companies are overreaching and civil liberties now. Joe Biden is sworn in and thankfully nothing really happens on that day. February 2021, Tom Brady wins his seventh Super Bowl, and then we all kind of agree he's either really set himself up well with God or with Satan, depending on your view of Tom Brady. We're not sure how this happens. Three vaccines are given emergency approval, and the world now races to get people vaccinated as quickly as possible. March 2021, we begin to see variant mutations of COVID-19 as the U.S. death toll surpasses 500,000. Since then, we've had the Olympics and the complications and beauty that came from that. Mental health now came back to the main stage and stigmas have been taken off of 
talking about mental health, receiving professional help for it, fantastic. And now 70% of US adults nationwide are reported to have received at least one dose of the vaccine. At the same time, the US has surpassed 650 million deaths and we've hit 4.5 million lives lost to a virus globally. This has an impact on our emotions, our mental health, and yes, it affects our spiritual life. It affects our souls, how we pray, how we interact with one another, and how we see God in our lives. For the last few weeks, I've been meeting with local counselors around the Mercer County area and talking about what they've seen in people that they've counseled and what they've seen as results of the last two years. And one of the things that they've brought away is we are more angry and we are more anxious than we've ever been. And I want to speak to you directly before we begin to preach through this. I want to encourage you in moments of suffering and trial, when we feel overwhelmed, the God that we serve as Christians, the trust in the Bible, we see Jesus of Nazareth tells us, come to me. All of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. As we move forward, experts say, universally, ubiquitously, all near 8 billion people on this planet are all now living with a higher than normal average baseline of anger and fear. All of us. We have lived with data reports of death on scales we are not as humans conditioned to be able to cope with. And we've made that our reality. Many of us have lost actual people close in our lives. Family and friends have died. People we love have been deeply vulnerable or hospitalized, or maybe we have during this process. And at the end of this, we come away with some unhealthy conclusions. You can't trust the world. People lie and governments lie and organizations lie. And I don't know who to trust. You can't trust anyone. We have church scandals and famous pastors having deep moral failings. And we say, well, you can't trust pastors. And we look at churches and we're divided on a million issues of how we talk about them. And it feels like there's no compassion. And we say, well, I can't trust the church. Overall, it is a generalized fear. I'm not sure what I'm afraid of. I'm not sure what I'm angry about, but I'm going to try to point and name things so that I can get this off of my chest. Whether it's somebody on the internet, another car driving, a person at the grocery store, or a family member. I'm just mad. And if you feel that way, I want you to know you are not alone. Many of us and all of us to some extent feel this way. Experts say people are now hypervigilant because of a virus we can't see that mutates and we're learning about and information is sometimes hazy. We're hypervigilant because we're not sure what's going to happen or where danger can come from. The death of a family member or a friend, the fear of a loved one in a nursing home, the fear of causing the death of a loved one. We carry a fatigue and exhaustion as a result because we're aware all of the time. We're aware there's danger there. There's potential uh, uh, destruction around the corner. We're always aware, and so now we're exhausted. And during the pandemic, every typical healthy coping mechanism 
also became a potential agent of fear. We cope best when we come together and we share with one another that you're not alone and we hear other stories, but we did this alone, separated from each other. How do you build a support system when church is online, when my small group is over Zoom, when I can't gather together with anyone, when I'm singing alone in my living room? How can I do these things? And now that many of them have returned, the danger is that we just move on without processing what has happened to us. And today, I want to give you permission and tell you that it is biblical, it is spiritual, it is Christ-honoring to look back and own our brokenness so that Jesus Christ can heal it. And as we look back, now let's move to the next stage. In bringing this to the forefront, we now need to wrestle with God in the process of giving it to him. One counselor I sat with and talked to challenged me and said, before the pandemic, a lot of people used spiritual language. We talked about finding spiritual direction or meditating or having a life coach that was guiding me and feeling more whole in myself. Whether you were a Christian or religious at all, we all used this language in early 2020 and 2019 but you didn't almost never hear that anymore. Talk about meditation and going to a yoga class or spiritual direction. They've largely fallen to the side. And what they said was, it's because spiritual formation happens in quiet stillness. And because we all now have a consistent level of anger and anxiety, before we can get to that moment of contemplation, we hit the barrier of anger and fear. And unless we know how to deal with that, we give up. They told me this and I said, whoa, you are putting language to what I felt. I consider myself someone who regularly practices spiritual formational meditative actions. And I would multiple times be meditating on a scripture verse and I'd be quietly centering down and I would literally say in the process, go, no, I'm just mad. I can't do this. No, I'm just anxious. I want to distract myself. I'd rather binge out on a Netflix show because this process is making me feel worse. You may be that way. This may be putting language to things you're feeling. And what they said is, and the model we're going to look at is, you may for a period of time, weeks or months or years, not be able to think of your spiritual life like that. But it doesn't mean we can't bring it to God. They said, you need to embrace a prayer life that might be messier, that might be more angry or might be more emotional, but God can handle that. And if you're feeling those feelings, make that your spiritual life. Wrestle with it. If you want permission, read the Psalms and read people bringing and wrestling with God through their messy emotions. There are Psalms where people say, God, you are being unfair. I've done everything right and everyone around me is wrong and my life is falling apart. What gives? Explain yourself. You have people praying to God, destroy my enemies violently, bringing it before him. If you're angry, if you're anxious, bring it. Bring it to God in prayer. And your prayer life might be messy, but you need to embrace that with God's presence in your life. We're going to walk through what I think is a beautiful example of this in the life of Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 26, we get to see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane wrestling with God through his own anxiety and anger. Let's see how Jesus does this. 
Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And he said, sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little further and bowed his face to the ground, praying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then he returned to the disciples and he found them asleep. He said to Peter, Couldn't you watch with me even an hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Then Jesus left them a second time and he prayed, My father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping, for they couldn't keep their eyes open. So he went to pray a third time, saying the same things again. Then he came to the disciples and he said, Go ahead and sleep. Have your rest. But look, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up and let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. Your prayer life may be messy. The prayer life of Jesus, when he was anxious and his emotions were raw, he prayed messy. I love that even in this passage, Jesus seems uncharacteristic of being Jesus. He yells at his disciples, kind of almost irrationally. They've been up a long time. This is a tense time for them following Jesus. And he brings them out late at night and tells them to wait. And of course they're going to fall asleep. They're exhausted. And Jesus, normally moved with compassion, instead is angry at them that they can't stay up. He's emotional. And he's raw. And his emotions are flying all over the place. In this recording in Luke, he's sweating drops of blood. He's upset. And he takes that and he brings it to God. Take permission that your prayer life doesn't always need to be neat and clean and quiet. Your prayer life can be angry shouting at the dashboard of your car. Your prayer life can be anxious pacing on the streets and praying out to God. Your prayer life can be full of tears, and it should be. And you have reason to be. And God says, bring it and bring me your mess and allow me to wrestle with you in the process. Wrestle with God and bring him in the process. And then third, return to the essentials of faith by seeing the character of God. The way I view my faith two years after the beginning of this pandemic, after going through everything we've been through, in many ways my faith is a stripped down version of what it was. My view of church is a stripped-down version of what it was. And that may be necessary for you. The essence of what it meant to serve in a church as a Christian was sideswiped by the pandemic. We sing a lot. It's a big part of what we do. Singing now could cause the death of the people around me. It's gone. Sing at home. It's weird. It doesn't really work. Coming together in small groups, and that's where we build and disciple and build relationships. Can't come together in small groups. We gather together, and we remind each other. We read scripture publicly. You can't do that. As those things were deconstructed, feel permission 
to in your spiritual life, boil it down to the essence to build it back up. Jesus says an elemental phrase that takes away all of the recorded religion of the Old Testament and the build-up spiritual practices we have. He boils it down in one sentence and says, My Father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. The essence of saying, God, I trust your character over my own judgment. This doesn't seem wise to me. I don't want to do this. But if this is your will, I trust who you are. Many of us need to return back to our own devotional life of reading the scriptures and saying, this may not resonate with what I think and feel. My spiritual life may be hard to grasp, but with an open hand, I say, God, speak to me. I trust your will. You may struggle with church constructs now or even essences of, of parts of the Bible. And you may need to return back to what is the character of God as revealed to us in the person of Christ Jesus. When I wander and struggle, my spiritual life comes back to, boy, Jesus is beautiful. And when I read his life, I am reminded that the God I serve put on flesh and he loved people who were difficult to love. He forgave when it was near impossible to forgive the hatred being thrown at him. He healed, he laughed, he ate, and he restored. And I can come back to this man who was God is beautiful. And I can build my faith back up from there. You may have to return back to the essence of the character of God. As Jesus himself says about his character, Matthew chapter 11, verse 29. Take my yoke upon you, he says. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. I want to speak directly for a moment because I know that this is real. Church life and which churches are on which side of which argument can feel really scary right now. And church can feel aggressive. And Christians can feel dangerous. I know that that's true. I've experienced that myself. I've hurt people in these last two years. Jesus never will. Jesus won't hurt you. Jesus won't betray you. Jesus won't trick you. And Jesus' arms are always extended wide, ready to embrace you. He is gentle and humble by his very nature. If all else fails you in what we call organized religion, return back to the fact that Jesus will prevail and Jesus is love. Lastly, finally, choose the risk of letting others in the process. Jesus was Jesus. He's God in flesh. He could have gone and prayed by himself. But Jesus being human, needed his friends, needed people with him. And you can see it in the rawness of how he responds to them. Guys, I need you right now. I'm wrestling with deep, essential parts of my soul with God right now, and I don't want to do it alone. It's scary to do it by myself. And he brings people along, and honestly, they let him down. They fail. And Jesus being God, also in praying, and we see this in the last verse, 
he knows they're going to let him down. He knows his friends, his bros, are going to turn their back on him. He knows Peter, who says, I'll never leave you, everyone else might, abandons him and curses their very relationship in Jesus' most intimate time. He knows that one of his closest 12 is going to sell him out for a bag of silver to his own death. And he knows that these guys, aside from one, are all going to scatter. And yet, he chooses the risk of bringing them along in the process. Then he came to the disciples and he said, go ahead and sleep, have your rest, but look, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up, let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. It will be slow building from the last two years to now to get back into the relational groove you may have lost or to build a whole new one that may be unfamiliar. You're gonna have to take relational risks and I'm encouraging you take relational risks. Invite other people into the process of what God is speaking to you. Invite them in to the process of your pain and do not do this journey alone. Jesus Christ, who was God, couldn't do it alone. The first man ever to live with God's presence unrestricted, God says, you cannot do this alone. The lesson of the pandemic is not to be afraid of each other, but how difficult it is and how worthy it is to fight for each other. And one of the silver linings to take away from these last two years is, this was something we all went through. Not those of us at Pennington AG Church, not all of America, every person on the planet walked through this experience of pain and suffering for the last two years. It is a human experience and we are in this together. As fellow brothers and sisters made in the image of God, you are not alone. If you're hurting and your spiritual formation has taken a back seat, you are not alone. If it's hard for you to reach out to others and walk the journey back together again, you are not alone. We are in this journey together. God has made us to fight for each other to grow forward. I'm not gonna give you a happy, ending in this moment where an instant change and turn. We have planned as a church the next four months to walk into our emotional and spiritual union. What does it look like to be emotionally and spiritually healthy? Then what does it mean to wrestle in prayer together and then finishing out our year talking about the beauty of the character of the God we serve in Jesus Christ? And I want to encourage you not to abandon when it gets hard. This is a slow process of healing, but it is worth it to find the freedom and joy that God has planned for each of us in Christ Jesus. If you'll allow me in this moment to just pray over you. Lord, we pray in this moment for healing. And we pray for the courage to admit the brokenness we have lived through and the brokenness we still carry with us. And rather than run from it or let it define us, Lord, we invite your spirit to the messy process of wrestling with our souls so that we may heal, so that we may be whole. I pray that each of you would know the character of Jesus closer and more deeply, to know that he is humble, and gentle and loving, 
and to know that he is always present when you call for him. God, may we know you more richly and find healing in you. In the name of Jesus, amen. I thank you for joining me for this special teaching from Pennington AG Church, and I encourage you to walk this journey together as we find healing in the loving presence of Jesus.